first family service. And so uh, we're going to be having family services anytime there's five weekends or five Wednesdays. So we'll have four family, family Wednesdays and four family weekend services where there's not Rock Church on the weekend. Um, but we'll make sure you're aware you'll see those signs in the foyer. Uh, and so I'm thankful to be able to address because I've... I, I've gotten used to just the kids, children's ministry is always downstairs now, and I don't get a chance to address children's ministry, and so I'm so thankful to have you all upstairs for tonight where I get to address you. This is exciting, and so um, we're wrapping up a, a series that we've been doing on the power in personal prayer, and so tonight is week four, the last lesson on the power in personal prayer. If you missed this, you can go back. And through our website, uh, you can find it, or YouTube or Facebook, we have everything online. And so you can go back and listen to weeks one through three, which we've had a real powerful time of prayer every single week that we have done this series. And so, um, so tonight, I believe it's going to be another one of those times. So let's pray. Jesus, thank you, Lord God, for everybody being here, uh, people tuning in online, Lord. We thank you for the children who just did a phenomenal job worshiping you and leading us into worship. God bless them. I know that you have a great calling on their lives. And so, God, speak through me tonight in the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Well, this is the last uh, lesson of the Power and Personal Prayer, but the specific this fourth lesson, we're looking at the togetherness of personal prayer. That's interesting, the togetherness of personal prayer. The word are, go ahead and say it, say are, are. Yeah. Boy, with children's ministry in here, I could have told you that was going to happen. R. It's R. R. That's an interesting word. It's it's a word. Oh, our. Oh, our. 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 Not R. Our. Our. Our is an interesting word. It's not. It's not the first word we learn as a child, is it? And other people have kids like my kids. We don't, I've never, ever, I've never had a child, and I've worked with kids, I've, I have my own kids, I've never had a child where I had to say, all right, now, just sound it out, my, mine, my, and, and where you have to work with kids on saying my or mine. It just comes naturally. But when a kid says, oh, yeah, this is our toy, this is our toy. This is, oh, yes, we play with this together. Does that, that, that ever happen in someone's house? Like, do your kids ever say, like, oh, this is our toy. We play with this together. No, no, no. The concept of our comes with maturity. Understanding you're one small part of a bigger whole. Luke 11.1 1 says, And it came to pass that as he was praying in a certain place, when he ceased, one of his disciples said unto him, Lord, teach us to pray as John taught his disciples. Now, the, the disciples had just said, Jesus, teach us to pray. That's a pretty huge request. I mean, God manifest in flesh is walking with you. Say, Lord, teach us to pray. But notice they did not say, Jesus, please teach me to pray. Scripture doesn't say that. He does not say, Jesus, teach me to pray. Right off the bat, 
They understood the community, the, the, the mindset that the Lord was already just instilling in them. I said, Lord, teach us. Teach us to pray. And Jesus responded and said in Luke 11, too, he, says, he said, and when you pray, say, our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth. As it is so, so in heaven. So even though we're talking about personal prayer, and they said, teach us to pray, the first word out of the mouth of Jesus Christ is, our Father. Teach us to pray. This is how we pray. We say, our Father. There's a plurality in prayer that we all often overlook. We view prayer kind of as this private act, like make sure you pray. Go, go in your prayer closet and pray. Pray by yourself. And, and those are all important. But then if you say, we're going to have a corporate prayer meeting, and we have prayer meeting once a month. Well, why do I need to go to prayer meeting? I mean, I can, God hears me. I can, I can pray by myself. I don't need to go up to the front and have all these people pray with me and go to a prayer meeting. I can pray by myself. I don't need to be with everybody else. I've heard this before. The biggest issue in this mindset is it really has to do with culture more than anything else. You see, there's a fundamental difference. We're Western culture. Between Western and Eastern culture, the Western mindset, we view things through the lens of, an, of the individual. We celebrate being individualistic, being, being self-sufficient. Whereas Eastern mindset will look through the, through the lens of community. Community. It takes a village. It takes a city to raise a child, right? It's, it's that village mindset, that community mindset. Scripture emphasizes the importance of corporate and united prayers, both. We are incomplete on our own. We are better together. The phrase one another is used 100 times in the New Testament. The word saint is found one time in the New Testament. But saints, plural, is found 61 times. Because the idea of a solitary saint is a foreign concept to our Lord. Never once. I mean, even when they said, we're going to pray over there, we're going to commission them, they went off in teams of two. Never once do you just read about the church saying, well, hey, you're by yourself. You want to go? Just go. Have a good time. Good luck. We'll pray for you. No, because it was this, we're going to, there's good accountability here. Oh, they're having a revival over there. We're going to send people and go check on them. And you're going to go out in teams. And, and even when Jesus says, before you go in the city, teams of two, go before me, prepare the way. There was this team mindset, teach us to pray. And he says, I'll teach you how to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven. Consider this, there are 37 major verses where Jesus encourages us to pray. In 34 of the 37 verses, Jesus used pronouns in Greek indicating that he was speaking with a collective or plural sense, like you all, or in Missouri, y'all. I did not say that growing up in Wisconsin, but I do say it now, and that's probably why when I go to Wisconsin, people are like, you sound Southern. All you got to do is say one word and people think you're southern in the north. 
You just say y'all, and they're like, oh, you're from the South. I mean, that's it. That's all you got to do. And people in the North think that you are from the South. Y'all. In only three verses, Jesus used pronouns to indicate that he spoke in an individual sense, such as you. The other 34 are you all, y'all. Check this out, Matthew 7, 7. Ask, and it shall be given you. You, and you shall seek and you shall find and knock and it shall be open unto you. Get ready for this. Guess what? The word you as it is used right there is y'all. It's not you. It's when you ask and it shall be given. When you seek, it's y'all. Y'all. Another more explicit example is found in Matthew 18, 19. Again, I say to you that if two of you shall agree on earth as touching anything that they shall ask, it shall be done for them of my Father which is in heaven. For where two or three are gathered together in my name, there I am in the midst. Again, the word you there is, it's y'all, okay? Jesus could have said, if anyone asks, but he did not. Jesus was emphasizing a corporate unity in the body. When you pray, not you, when y'all pray, when y'all pray, yeah, and then when you go really south, it's all y'all. When all y'all pray, when all y'all pray, there's a corporate unity. Hey, you just wait. People were like, when I moved from Wisconsin, they're like, wait, you're driving a pickup truck? I'm like, yep. They're like, you own a handgun now? I'm like, yep. They're like, you built something with your hands, like power tool-wise, and you, you own your own power tools? I'm like, yep. Now wait till they found out that Matthew and Laura bought me my first pair of cowboy boots. I mean, I might, I might even show up with a belt buckle here one of these days. I don't think I'll ever say Missouri, but never know. Who here says Missouri? All right, we only got a couple. All right. So I don't say that. But Jesus was emphasizing a corporate unity. You look in the Old Testament. King David's army in the Old Testament had three divisions led by three brothers. They were his three nephews. Joab, Asael, and Abishai. The brother's strategy was simple, but it was powerful. Look at it. 2 Samuel 10.9, it says, When Joab saw that he would have to fight both on the front and the rear, he chose some of Israel's elite troops, and he placed them under personal command to fight the Armenians and, and in the fields. And he says he left the rest of the army under the command of his brother Abishai, who was to attack the Ammonites. And he says, if the Armenians are too strong for me, then come over and help me. Joab told his brother, and if the Ammonites are too strong for you, I'll come and help you. That just doesn't sound that deep. Like, I feel like well, I could probably be a general then if that's, if that's the strategy. Like, hey, 
If you want to be successful on the battlefield, if you start getting beat, it's kind of the concept. We can understand this concept in different fronts. Like if you're working on the, the lawn, if you're at your job and you run behind, if you're a server in a restaurant and you get slammed and double sat, like it's really nice when another server says, hey, you need me to get the drinks for you? You're in the battlefield, he's like, hey, if you start getting beat, just call me. I'm going to come over here, and, and I'll go over by you, and you come and cover my back. You play basketball, help defense, right? You get beat on the baseline, best teams, you, you slide over. Somebody slides over, stops ball. It's a concept that like, we understand in all these different settings, but then when it comes to the spiritual realm. Yeah. Like, well, yeah, you just need to fight and you know, do your battle. Like, well, no, 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 no. If you start to, if it starts to get a little intense for you, I got help defense. I'm going to slide over and stop ball. If we're in a battle and there's something in your life where things are a little bit intense, you know what? Hey, you just let me know. I'm, I'm over here fighting my own stuff. But if I need to, there's enough elite troops around me that I can step away. They'll handle this battle. I'm going to help you. I'm going to come help you with yours. And so, how about we think about that through the, through the time of prayer? All too often, people who devote themselves for prayer, they have a habit of withdrawing. And there's nothing wrong. There's times that Jesus did this too. He withdrew and, and had to be alone. You can't do it 24-7, always be. But there's times where we're withdrawing and we're going into a prayer closet. And there's times where we're coming out and we're saying, hey, battle's intense. I'm going to come fight with you. God calls us his body because there is one interaction with another. You know, loneliness has been, it's become part of American culture. Countless studies have shown the 21st century to be shaping up as the loneliest year yet. The loneliest century yet. And so uh, now you throw in COVID, social distancing, quarantine. And guess what you're doing? It's this we have another pandemic, so to speak, and that's one of loneliness. And dare I say, loneliness cannot be a regular thing in the church. But it happens. You'd be shocked right now if I said, how many of you in the last six months in the church, don't raise your hand, but if, if I said, how many of you have felt lonely even though you're a, a part of this church? You're going to see that a lot of people still will raise their hand because there is people, people struggle with loneliness, even in the church. But it's not just up to someone in the church to know when you're feeling lonely. A lot of times people will come to me, well, yeah, there's not this, there's not this, and the church is letting me down because I'm feeling lonely. But, hey, if you're in a battle... It's not always the church's problem to know every fight that you're in. You have to let someone know when it's getting a little bit intense for me. And so it has to go both ways where we must always be aware of one another. Think about this. In Scripture, there's an amazing contrast between the lives and the ministries of two prophets. Elijah and Elisha. Elijah 
was a solitary figure. He lived mostly in the wilderness, lived, living a, a separated and isolated life. At the close of his life and ministry, where do we find him? We find him alone and depressed in a cave by himself. What? That doesn't make any sense. When you read about Elijah's life, like, I mean, he just did incredible miracles, absolutely amazing miracles. Like, how did this guy end up in a cave alone, depressed by himself? What was he doing? Like, I thought he would have all kinds of, of friends. And, and, and what, but you know what? It's interesting. You read about some of these most well-known comedians. The people who make people laugh the most are often the most depressed. Happens in ministry, too. People often mightily used of God, but then they isolate into a cave. That can't, that can't be you. That is not God's will for your life. That wasn't, I don't believe that was not God's will for Elijah's life. That's why God shows up and says, what are you doing in a cave? Well, I'm alone. Ain't nobody around. Are you kidding me? There's prophets over here that have not bowed yet. Had it not been for the tenacious Elisha, Elijah would have left this earth without anyone even knowing what happened to him. Elisha, though, what does he do? He surrounds himself with other people. He works with what is known as a school of the prophets. His influence reaches into future generations. So it doesn't matter how powerful you are in God or your prayer life. If you're not willing to get around someone, invest in them, go to battle with them, play a little help defense, you're not fulfilling the will of God for your life. Notice in the New Testament, it says in Romans 12, honor one another. Colossians 3, forgive one another. Ephesians 5, submit to one another. 1 Thessalonians 5, encourage one another. James 5, confess your sins one to another. We can look at them and go, all right, yeah, I can do that. That one's, one, I think I can do that. Two, man, that's hard at times. But I'll try. Three. Four. Yeah. I'm, I'm four. Whoa. What did I do? I offended them. <laughs> I mean, like, she was like, no, I'm done with this. <laughs> so, encourage one another. Oh, I can do that, too. And then confess. I'm out. Confess your sins one to another. No, 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 I'm, 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 I'll catch you later. It's all Bible, right? Well, no, 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 I think, I think when you're in church, especially in leadership, you're supposed to pretend that you don't have any sin, that you don't struggle with anything. So we have to put on a front and just act like we're a mighty man or woman of God. Like you're not, well, scripturally, it says, honor one another, forgive one another, submit to one another, encourage one another, and confess your sins to one I probably should have rearranged this where it started with the easiest and worked its way to the hardest because like honoring one another might be one, encouraging one another might be two, uh, submit and forgive, that's kind of hard, that, those are going to be three and four, and I would say confess your sins is probably number five.
But see, this is the way he designed it. When, when, when you look at this, Paul writes to the church in Rome. Paul writes to the church in Colossus. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus. Paul writes his first letter to the church in Thessalonica. Then James writes. This is all New Testament stuff. This is all scripture. But yet we're in a Western mindset that says, I just got to dig deep. I'm going to go, go into a time of fasting. I'm going to go into my personal prayer closet. And we celebrate that, and those times are needed. But there are also very much, you are connected in the New Testament where he says, Lord, I want to learn how to pray. All right, here's how you pray. First word, our. It's not teach me to pray. Lord, teach us as a body to pray. Because we understand that in order to do and be what God wants us to do and be, I don't want to just all of a sudden ministry to take off and see signs, wonders, and miracles and then end up in a cave. I want to understand that, Lord, teach us to pray. Teach us to pray, our Father. We understand, because why? Because no matter who you are, what you do, you are going to reach a point in your life that you are alone and lonely and frustrated and wondering where everyone's at and struggling, and that's where you need someone to slide over and play some help defense. Like the server to get the drinks at the restaurant and the salads out when you got slammed. Or when you reach a spiritual battle where you say, man, I'm praying, I'm fasting. I just still feel just depleted. I feel down. I just feel like I'm not able to shake this. All right. Let me slide over. And when are you fasting? Because I'm going to fast with you. Why don't we get together? Grab a cup of coffee. Why don't we talk through this? What exactly are you struggling with? Let's, 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 let's read scripture together. I'm going to text you a word that God's given me for you. That all of a sudden now, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not just trying to battle by myself. I'm not trying to battle alone, but that's what Western culture celebrates. Oh, you just need to be tough. You need to do it by yourself. You don't, don't be weak. Don't call someone. You don't need help. Like, no. You and I are going to need help at times. And so if you're in bad shape, you find somebody and say, hey, can I confess something to you? I'm struggling with sin. Can you imagine going to someone in the church and saying, can I just confess something to you? I'm struggling with sin. If you can't, we as a church have to get there. Because it, otherwise, all we're going to do is just keep trying to keep trying to fight it, keep trying to fight it, trying to hide it. And eventually, condemnation gets so heavy that we just say, I don't belong here anymore. There has to be an environment. If refuge is refuge, it means a safe place. There has to be a place where when somebody goes to you, it's not, hey, yeah, you know, Jacob came and told me this. And I go over to Matt and say, bro, did you hear what Jacob did? Because now it's not only not a safe place, but I'm participating in something that God actually says I despise. I hate it. So now you turned over not just somebody struggling, but now I'm actually putting a curse on the body. By doing something God despises. But there has to be something in us where, hey, the people say, oh, yeah, refuge, oh, yeah, the people here, I, I encourage them, they encourage me. 
oh yeah, we, we, yeah we, we, we confess our faults one to another. It's a safe place. Nobody, nobody just says sin's all right. But we fight together. We rejoice together. We weep together. We pray together. We fast together. We enjoy the mountaintops together. And we travel through the valleys together. Why? Because Jesus designed this New Testament church on the concept of the word our. Not your, but y'all. The journey where God wants to take us begins entwining our prayers with other people and basically saying, hey, let's make this trip together. We're in this together. We're on different points of the journey, but we're trying to get to that same destination. And I don't want to run so fast that I forget about the people that I just ran out, left behind. God did not design this for us to be alone. Even like I said, the Nears, we just prayed over them. Even though they're leaving, they know. We spent a day with them. They know. It's not just like, good luck. They know that if they feel weak, if they feel wore out, that they can come back and sit on these pews for a weekend. They don't have to preach. They don't have to minister. They know if they need a family vacation. We have ministers in this church that if I won't go, one of you will go and cover their pulpit in their church so they can go take two weeks and go on a vacation somewhere and invest in their family and invest in their marriage. They know these things because that's the way the body should be. So we could sit and look at verse after verse after verse that provides biblical uh, examples. But just look in the, in the Old Testament. Aaron and Hur hold up Moses' hands on the mountain as he prayed over the battle below. Elijah called a solemn assembly on Mount Carmel, and the faithful remnant of Israel gathered around. They began to pray. Esther interceded before the king, but not without a time of unified prayer and fasting with her people before she went in. Daniel called his three friends together to help him pray for an interpretation of the king's dream, and God answered them. Ezra called people together to fast and pray that the king would be favorable to God, to, or to, to them, and God answered them. In the New Testament, after he called his disciples, most of Jesus' prayer were in front of them. Jesus implored his followers to watch and pray with him. In Acts 1, they prayed together for the baptism of the Holy Spirit and for the replacement of Judas. In Acts 2, they prayed and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. In Acts 3, Peter and John headed to a corporate prayer meeting and a man was healed that then stands up and joins them on their way to church. Acts 4, they gathered in an upper room to pray for courage and the whole place was shaken. Acts 6, they prayed over the choice of people to handle distributions to widows so the apostles could give themselves more to prayer. In Acts 8, Peter and John prayed for the people in Samaria to be filled with the Spirit. Acts 12, the Jerusalem church united in prayer. God called Paul and Barnabas, not just one, to their very first missionary journey. Acts 14, Paul and Barnabas prayed over new churches and then started on a world-changing journey. 
everything you read, Old Testament, New Testament, it was teams. It was a body. It was a corporate idea. It was y'all, not you. It was not just a, I got to get alone. I got to go to a prayer closet. I just got to take this on. I just need to fight. No, no, no. He says fight, but he says, hey, if you want to pray, let's get together. Have a corporate prayer meeting and that you seek the counsel of many and that you're a part of a larger whole. You see, we could just keep going. But united prayer was hallmark of the New Testament church. It was, and it is, apostolic. But already, right now, in some of your minds, and I'm already wrapping up. I know I'm keeping it short. The kids are in here. Already in some of your minds. When I read these scriptures, if I say, baptism of the Holy Ghost, look at this scripture. If I say, Jesus' name, oneness of God, I say this, that we're like, oh, praise God, amen, I believe that, yes, preach, preach. Like, we're pumped. But then it's like, there, we have favorite parts of the Bible. We have favorite parts. Apostolic Pentecostals, man, we, we, oh, we love Love Acts 2.38. Like, love it. That's our hallmark. And it, and, we, and it should be. But then when we say, forgive one another. Okay. Confess our faults one to another. Already in some of our minds, we're like, yeah, nah. That was probably just for that century. <laughs> that's, that's, that's probably not for today. It, it's like, it's like amazing how like we will get on people when, they're, when we're like, no, you can't do that. And like different denominations will say, well, that was for them or that's not for us. And we're like, yes, it is. Blah, blah. And we're like super pumped about like the word of God is for today. And then like we flip over to another verse. We're like, well, yeah, that, that's probably not for today. And we're like, do we just like choose the ones that we want to be convenient for what we're really passionate about? Because go back to that slide. I mean, look at that. This is all biblical stuff. If you guys didn't delete it already. There we go. <laughs> Honor one another. Forgive one another. Yeah, but she really did me wrong. Okay. Submit to one another. That means there's a mutual submission because when we work on a team... We're all working together. Certainly, God has called me to be the pastor of this church, but I don't view myself as like, I'm up here running this, and y'all are just the little people down here. Like, no, without us as a team working together, I don't, I'm not even a pastor. Like, we all are the exact same key components in this thing we call a church. And so that's why I could step away from here and you guys will be totally fine because it's God's church and you have a strong team. Someone else could move away and we're going to feel it. But it's God's church, so we keep, we keep going. But we have a mutual submission to one another that when we walk this way, it's not just a parent-child submission. No, there's a mutual submission in the way that we operate in the kingdom of God. Encourage one another. How often do we do that? We all want everybody to encourage us, 
but when's the last time you said, I want to walk into church tonight. I just want to look for someone to encourage. I'm just going to look around at people's eyes. And instead of just shooting the breeze about stuff that's kind of worthless at times, I want to just look at people. And I want to say, God, give me somebody to encourage tonight. You, ha- you, ever, you ever think of someone, who comes to your, your mind when you think of an encourager? Like every time you go to eat with that person, you have a conversation with that person, like you leave feeling better. Like you leave feeling refreshed. They're not a drain on you. It's a fill. You, you leave going, man, I didn't, I didn't have to listen to problems and complaints about people and who they don't like and what the, like, no, they just, they just, I leave feeling encouraged. Like that person is just an encourager. I look around and there's people here that, that are like that, that I say, man, when I, when I interact with that person, that's, they're an encourager to me. Well, that's a scriptural thing. And tonight, if you're here and you're struggling with something, don't believe the lie. You can't, you can't tell nobody. You better not repeat that. You've got you to take that to God by yourself. You've got you to fight and hope you can get through it, but don't ever tell anybody. But it, this is not a surprise because this is the way it started at the beginning of time. Adam and Eve sinned, and what did they do? They ran and hid. Because sin brings a guilt and a shame that makes me say, no one can know. No one can ever know. I got to hide. But when God shows up, he says, where are you? What did you do? Come on out and talk to me about it. And then he says, I'm going to develop a church that you're going to be a part of a body, this unit. And here's how I want it to go. I want you to feel a mutual submission to one another, encouraging each other and even confessing your faults one to another. There has to be a family, a body that you're going to be a part of that's, that's bigger than just you. This is my vision for the church. But we in the 21st century Western culture, we can reason that away really easy. I think we do well, but I long for the day when Refuge Church is such a place of refuge that even counseling, I'm not even really having to do very much of it because we're taking our things one to another. And the body is ministering to the body. Because the body can only minister to the body when we actually confess our faults one to another. Granted, there's spiritual gifts, and absolutely, and that happens. But if you're struggling with something and you're always begging, if you're always at an altar begging God to send someone and give you the answer, maybe your answer is right here while I'm speaking and your answer is to go talk to someone about it. So church, this is principles for life. And this is apostolic. Prayer is the trademark as I close.
prayer is the trademark of all revival moments, all awakenings. It's prayer. But when you read about them in Scripture and in even 1901, Topeka, Kansas, Azusa Street in L.A., you don't read just about one person in their prayer closet praying by themselves. You read about corporate gatherings where there's signs and wonders and miracles and outpouring of God's Spirit where the whole body, the church, started to have an incredible moment. When Peter gets loosed from prison, he goes, he shows up at a house, not of an individual, but there was a corporate prayer meeting going on at that home. Corporate prayer is not just for church. Corporate prayer should also take place in homes. What happens if the government ever shut us down and said, you can't have freedom from religion, freedom of religion anymore? We better be real fast, real, real ready, real quick to start going into homes and having prayer meetings. This can't be awkward. What can happen? I believe I'm talking to a people of prayer. What can happen if I don't just say, and so as, the, as we wrap up this series on prayer, make sure you go home and pray in your room before you go. Make sure you wake up in the morning, you start your day with prayer. All important, it's all biblical. But if we go beyond that and we say, why don't we honor one another, encourage one another, confess our faults to one another, understand that when we pray, we say, our Father, not just my Father. Teach me to pray. Help me. God, help me. Help me. I want to do this. Help my ministry. God, help me to walk in this way. No, Lord, help us as a body. Lord, help the community. Help our church. Help the people who have confessed their faults to me right now. I want to begin to pray. I want to begin to hold them up. Give them strength right now as they rise up out of the bed, that the depression that tries to just engulf them. Lord, I pray just a light over them, just a covering over them that they would actually open up their eyes and feel hope and feel peace, Jesus. Go ahead, stand to your feet. I'm done. What would happen? What would happen if we as the church would be unified in this mindset? I'll tell you what would happen. We know what happens. There's already precedent for it. This is why in the legal system, you don't have to rewrite laws. They only rewrite laws in the Supreme Court when there's not precedent for something. You look back at precedents and say, well, the precedent for this situation was this. So we say, okay, well, what happens when a group of people unite and have prayer meetings and faith and hold one another accountable and hold and share the one, all things common? What happens? I'll tell you what happens. God pours out His Spirit upon thousands and thousands of people. Thousands of people are added to the church every single day. Miracle signs and wonders happen. Churches are planted. Countries are reached. Ministries are launched. People are commissioned into new areas. You know how I know that? Because it's precedent found in a book called The Acts of the Apostles. And so if I'm apostolic, then I'm going to pray, Our Father, which art in heaven, help us, give us this day 
our daily bread. These are the things that happen when the people of God pray and not just pray alone, but pray together. So tonight, I'm not saying I'm going to make it mandatory. Go find somebody. But my goodness, if you are the person that typically just sits down by yourself, puts your head down, and then shoots out the back door, don't do that tonight. Make this a night where if you just begin to look around, just say simple prayers like this. God, is there anybody here you want me to pray with? Lord, help me to just see through your eyes. Jesus, I don't want to pray alone tonight. God, is there anybody here that, that I could pray with? And sometimes you just walk up and put an arm around. Sometimes, sometimes God gives you a word and you start to pray a word of faith. Sometimes you don't know what to say. You just begin to pray blessing over them. God, help them, keep them, bless them. Sometimes, maybe it's not the prayer, but you begin to pray, walk around and going, God, okay, i never seen that in the scripture. Lord, before I leave tonight, please help me to be an encourager to someone. Yeah, but I got this going on, I got that, I got all kinds of problems. We all do, okay? Can we set the problems aside for a second? Can I just say, all right, Lord, before I leave, help me to just encourage someone. Help me to just encourage somebody. How do we pray, Jesus? How do we pray, Jesus? Well, here's where it starts. Our. Our. Our Father give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us. God, forgive our land. Forgive our sins. Forgive our church. Help us. Help us to be a people who are united. Well, I invite you to find a place to pray and hopefully, hopefully not just alone. To find a place and find the beauty of the togetherness of personal prayer. Oh, in Jesus' name.